0: Welcome to Two Cents FC. I'm your host, Emobi Okugo, back again with my guy, L. Each week, we'll be discussing topics from around the soccer world and giving you our, our unfiltered thoughts and opinions. This week, we're joined by journalist and Nashville SC reporter, Drake Hills. Uh, this week, we'll be discussing about Drake, his career. Uh, he's not the rapper. Don't get confused. Uh, recapping MLS January window and uh, some big Chicago Nissan news. Um, Drake, how are you doing today?
1: Man, I'm feeling pretty good. Just got down with a 5k. So, I'm feeling nice and nice and fresh, you know. I'm um, trying to make sure that, you know, pandemic can't pick up the pandemic 15. I mean, y'all know how it goes with, you know, when you was back in your plan days you are staying fit, but it's a little bit harder nowadays. So, I'm feeling pretty good. How about y'all?
0: No, we doing good, man. You just trying to put us to shame right off the back. You saying you came off a 5k? right.
1: I'm just trying to make sure I'm not the I'm not the one uh, you know, falling by the wayside. Uh, when we get back to normal or, or whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, man, I've been running. That's that's kind of like how I keep my, my life balanced. You know, I'll, obviously we'll talk a little bit later in the show, but, you know, Nashville has been pretty busy, uh, not only in this first season, but in this offseason as well. So this is my way of balancing work. You know, I can't just be sitting on my computer all day. So,
0: No, nah, respect. Before we get into it, I got to ask. So obviously we, we had to make the uh, distinction. You're not Drake. How Do you get that a lot?
1: That and you know what? Um, it's crazy because I used to get roasted like hard before he came out, <laughs> like middle school, middle school, I guess, until like yeah, pretty much all of middle school, I used to get roasted like, Man, Drake's a white name, what are you doing? And it wasn't until high school, and I actually went to a, a private school, so it was kind of like a culture shock, you mm-hmm. know, where I'm coming from pretty much K through eight where I'm going to school with majority, you know, black kids, majority Hispanic kids, uh, a lot of Asian kids. Um, and I go to this private Catholic school and we like, you know, like 20, 20 out of like 400 students in our class. And that's when thank me later came out. So yeah, I was like, yeah, you already know, like, you know, I took all the jokes, you know, right on, right on stride. And so, I actually used to get roasted a lot about that name, but yeah, man, my first name is Drake, not my middle name. So, just okay. making that distinction, you know.
0: <laughs> Respect. Uh, so, something we ask every guest that comes on the show. Obviously, you're a Cali boy as well. When did you fall in love with soccer?
1: Well, soccer was the first sport I ever played. Um, so this was, you know, three, four years old um, when I was living in Augusta Still, I didn't move in this. I didn't move to San Diego till I was in the first grade. So, um, really, my first experience with with sports as far as me playing them with soccer uh, from, you know, from the Y to the local rec league to competitive. So that was the first sport I ever played. Uh, first sport I ever really thought that it was mine. You know, I'm really a first generation soccer player in the family. You know, I come from you know basketball players and football players on each side, respectively. So soccer was like the first thing that was mine in my family. So I think uh, that was really something that I just, from the jump. It was like, that's my game.
0: Yeah. So talk about that because, you know, obviously, you know, being African-American soccer is not the main sport. So what gravitated you towards, you know, obviously it was yours. Right. You can claim it, but what, like, what excited you about playing the sport of soccer?
1: I think it was the pace. Like, I think it was the way the game, how you can get so you can f- feel yourself in the game and be so focused in it when nothing else matters, you know, life or, or school or family or whatever, whatever else is going on. It just felt like it was my own world. And I was the only one living it. I think I caught a lot of ease with that. I got a lot of grace with that and it felt like there was a passion that was feeding me when I stepped on the field. So I think that was something that, that drove me from, you know, from six years old when I really started playing a you know, weekend and week out and by the time I got to middle school, it felt like, you know, that allowed me to move along, not just on the field, but even off the field. It helped me learn how to deal with folks of other races, you know, uh, other guys of other cultures and, and even other personalities. You know, I think sport, especially in soccer, where you feel so much is it reaches so far as far as the type of people you can run into, uh, the type of cultures that's not just based on American culture, Right. So it brings you along socially and it brings you along mentally, I think, in ways that perhaps maybe other sports don't have the, the bandwidth to do so.
0: No, I respect that. So growing up, did you play for like any club teams or are you just like, how did it all work out?
1: Yeah, it actually, it's a, it's a funny story, a uh, sad story, kind of, because that's really how my career ended. But um, I played, started playing with a club called Peak which no longer exists um, in the San Diego area. I was kind of playing for like their B team. Um, and at the time, that's when I also started playing. I really started hooping as well. Mm-hmm. So I started hooping at a high level. And um, man, my, my grades was looking, my grades was looking real rough. And uh, so I actually started moving into that competitive level around middle school, around mm-hmm. some like U-12s. And my mom sat me down and was like, listen, first and foremost, it costs a lot of money, like you're, you're pushing, you know, 1200 1300 just to be on the team, you know, in terms of, you know, club fees and uh, travel money and gear and all that. And then I had just jumped onto the AAU circuit and they was only asking for $75 for a tournament fee every now and then. So, I mean, you compare $75 to 1300 Yeah, it do not really matter what sport you play. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that, that choice is easy. And then on top of that, um, I, you know, my parents was like, hey, the reason why we're making you choose is because, you know, really, you got two classes that you borderline failing or are failing. So, um, you know, I would train three days when we weren't playing tournaments. I would train four days, but on, on tournament weekends, we would train three days a week. And then on top of that, I had basketball practice on the other days. So. Like, let's say Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I had basketball practice. But Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I trained with my soccer team. So um, you're really looking at, like, six days out of the week where I didn't really have much time to do homework, didn't really yeah. have time to do anything else but to be out on the field or be in the gym. So, yeah, your y- boy was kind of struggling a little bit. And I think financially, for, for I think a lot of us in our community, right, where we don't really come from affluent backgrounds. And so, like, our parents – and my parents, you know, aren't exclusive, excluded from that. They made me choose because they, they couldn't afford doing both.
0: No, you bring up a great point. You know, a lot of people, there's the argument on, you know, should, you, should your student, your your child play multi-sports going up? Um, but there's cost factors into that. And then there's this, the factor of balancing schoolwork and social and, you know, all these different things for a child. So obviously if you can do it, then do it. But if you can't, you know, uh, child's going to have to be faced with some tough decisions at a young age.
1: Uh, exactly.
0: So, so you chose basketball, obviously, you know, $75 per year or on <laughs> occasion versus, you know, yeah. $1,400, $1,500. Um, how did you get back into soccer?
1: So I got back into soccer really starting from, I want to say, high school uh, when I think it was around the time where you started seeing Fox Soccer and you started seeing uh, other companies, broadcast companies companies begin to uh, really expand their coverage of the European game. And I think around that time, I really started getting back into the Champions League. So that's how I started supporting Bayern Munich, uh, because this was around the time when, you know, uh, Yempikas had came back and, you know, took over the club. It was the year before they won the treble. So I just remember, I was like, dang, who is this team? You know, it was like, I think it was a replay. I was watching on like a Saturday morning, but it was a midweek Champions League game. I was like, dang, this team is out here decked out with the all black, you know, they had all <laughs> black jerseys, and it was like Schweinsteiger. You had Dante, you had Van Boyton, you had, um, uh, dang, you had a young David, David Alaba. Alaba, yeah, who, yeah Philip Blom, young David Alaba, who really is my my personal favorite. Um, yeah, you had Mario Gomez, you had Mula, obviously Tony Cruz. So like that from the jump, like as soon as I got back into soccer was around the same time that I really took took love for for Bayern Munich. So that's what really drove me. And then once I got towards the end of high school and was thinking about college, I was like, you know, my basketball career is done. You know, I had jumped off the AAU circuit, but I was like, I don't really want to do something that is excluding sports, but. I also want to do something that I think I can offer others. And I had a, a couple of English teachers that said, hey, like your creative writing is, is is good. You just need to work on your mechanics and work on some other things that you know, could, could make you better. So I was like, let me just combine it, you know? And obviously, you know, writing about basketball, writing about baseball, those are saturated markets. And I thought, look, my favorite sport is, is soccer. Um, I think I have a niche here. So I've just been sticking with that probably for... It's been about seven years now. So uh, I think it's it's certainly something that is my passion. Now, when you talk about something or my reason why that I do what I do, it's really focusing on taking the time or or when opportunities do come to tell the Black soccer story when I can and when that opportunity does present itself because that's what drives me as a journalist is to talk about the players, the coaches, the fans, the communities, and really the culture that, I think, gets used and doesn't get enough credit. We don't get a lot of citations in our contributions as far as MLS, NWSL, USL, really doesn't matter. Even U.S. national team um, or or just globally, like the black soccer culture throughout our diaspora, we contribute so much. But I think we don't get cited for it. So I, I love telling those stories. And that's what drives me.
0: Oh, that's amazing. So what was your first story? Like, obviously, I assume you went to school, you studied uh, journalism. Yeah. Uh, what was your first story when it came to soccer, when you had that itch where I'm going to carve out my niche, I'm going to focus on soccer content, and I'm going to write about soccer stories?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I, I would say tying it back to what I was recently speaking about as as far as, you know, culture and how we contribute to the game. My first was getting a chance. I was covering. Um, the University of Oregon. I went to the University of Oregon for undergrad. Shout out to okay. Coach. And uh were you, so you, know, you, you were there when Coach Kelly was there. Obviously they they don't have a what's that?
0: You were there when uh what Coach Chip Kelly was there? Like during the good years? No, I, I came
1: after Kelly. I was uh I was in the um I was in the Hellfrich era. Okay. so Kelly Kelly had Kelly had left while I, while I was still in high school and then Helfrich had took over like my freshman year. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, so I was, but it was really, a, it was really Chip Kelly's team. Right. Uh-huh. So like he like, he recruited, I mean, Helfrich was still on the staff, but like Chip Kelly was the one who recruited Marcus Mariota who recruited yeah. De'Anthony Thomas, you know, um, especially coming from SoCal, like De'Anthony Thomas is, you know, is one of the dudes, you know, yeah. um, Crenshaw cat. So, but yeah, so I came in and the first story I was able to tell was really around the time that uh, the Colin Kaepernick debate was happening. And it was around the time where you know, his actions and his his decision to kneel started taking uh, really began to motivate and influence a lot of other athletic programs, whether it be football, soccer, um, basketball, across the country, not only just professionally, but collegially. And. So at that time, that was when Oregon, uh, UCLA, which is obviously a top-tier program in the country, um, USC, a lot of Washington players were were deciding to kneel. So that was around the time where I was saying, "Hey, like, why why is this Oregon soccer team kneeling?" And I got a chance to to tell that story uh, for for a local publication um, on campus, and you know, that was really start like, "Hey." Like obviously, I was covering and writing about this team just as a like a regular beat writer, but that was all fine and dandy. But really, what drove me was getting a chance to sit down with a lot of these players and just ask them, you know, what they thought about the Colin Kaepernick ordeal, what they thought about his decision, what they thought about what kneeling does for them in their space as a Pac-12 soccer program, and obviously them as young women, right? I mean, what does that mean for them? What is that? What message do they want to convey? with that action. And so that was really the start. But obviously, as an MLS reporter, I mean, we all know with the, the emergence of um, the Black Players for Change and even the subsequent births of obviously the Black Players Coalition, USL, NWSL. So that was where I got a chance to sit down with virtually, got a chance to sit down with with Kai Kamara. Uh, I got a chance to sit down with CJ Sapong. And that was really the start of me covering the Black Players for Change and making sure that, you know, I wanted to be the leader of that. Like, I wanted to make yeah. sure that saying, hey, like, there needs to be someone who understands where they're coming from when they start talking about the issues that they've gone through as players. They did not start as an MLS player. It started when they were young, when they started when they mm-hmm. when they were teens. And they went through and they made it to the top level of American soccer, but a lot of the experiences that they have are still the same. And so that was important for me to tell that story.
0: No, I respect that. So obviously, you know, you worked your way up, you know, you're now the the beat writer for a Nashville soccer club. Um, you know, we don't see a lot of black journalists. So talk about that experience, you know, um that 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 group. I can imagine like you go into the the press the press room and you probably it's you and a few others if, if that. So
1: talk about nah, that experience. It's it's just me. It's just <laughs> me, man. And, and on top of that, on top of that, like my first season as a National SC reporter or a reporter covering National SC was the pandemic season. So it's not like I wasn't traveling. You know, I wasn't going to Seattle. Shout out Jada. Um Jada Evans is out there covering the uh, not just Seattle Sounders, but she's also covering rain as well. Oh. Oil rain. So she's doing her thing out there. Shout out Kobe Price down there in South Florida um, covering inner Miami. Um, young dude like me, so we both coming into the game, you know, as as, as young black men. Damian Calhoun in L.A., you know, doing his thing, uh, covering L.A. Galaxy, and then you got J.J. Adams out there in Vancouver. So now we all have our interesting experiences, and I'm sure, you know, Jade has been in the game for a while. J.J. has been in the game for a while. Damian has been in the game for a while, um, but you know, we all have our you know interesting experiences coming into the press boxes where you're like. Yeah, there's there's a there's a huge Latin contingent, right? And there's uh-huh. obviously the majority is a is a bunch of white dudes. Um, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but that's the reality of it. And you know, you coming into the press box and you have to make sure you're doing your job, but it's like the sauce, the the natural personality that comes out. I'm like, if I say a joke, like who's gonna laugh? <laughs> you know, yeah. like if I say especially when I'm trying to talk with, you know, folks from the club, or maybe I'm on a virtual press call, uh. and you can't really have the interaction with a player on Zoom, that obviously, like, if I'm speaking with them face to face, you know, we can kind of, we can understand, yeah. you know, so that that was the struggle of the 2020, uh, no doubt, and I was just glad just to make sure a power through, because like I said, there's only five of us, so we got to make sure that, you know, we're not slipping, and we're not covering teams inadequately, because obviously that doesn't just show up on on my record personally, but that shows up on our record, If you know what I'm saying? Nah, so. you
0: no, know, you hit the nail on the head about that, you know, it's it's, it's it's not just for yourself, you know, it's for the people that are coming right. after you, um, the people that came before you too. So, you know, I want to take a moment to shout out to my guy, Kareet Gabriel, um, you know, someone that's done it in the Philly scene for a while. He broke a lot of stories uh, during the Philly days. Uh, So he's he's the OG. Um, But for anyone coming up, you know, someone that's interested in soccer, talking about soccer, young African-American guy or gal, uh, what advice would you have for them?
1: I think you need to find something that ties you to the game and not worrying about what other folks want to place upon you. Like, I think the problem with American soccer is, like, there's this – there's this message that's given to you, like you have to like the numbers and the analytics and you have to like the corny jokes and you have to like a lot of the, in in my opinion, like a lot of the, as you could say pillars of of like MLS culture, like to me, a lot of stuff is corny. Like when I see, when I go on Twitter, um, man, I'm really just like looking what you guys say. I'm looking at how unserious my Niger- at Nigeria scams, you know. What what he says is <laughs> yeah. funny to me. Um, um, unfortunately, like he's, like to me, he's like one in a million, you know, because like that, that doesn't happen anywhere else in MLS media. Correct. And, so, yeah. you know, but that's, that's what I would like to send the message that I would like to send to young black men and young black women who want to get into the game is, you know, find something that you are tied to, uh, like something about the game that you are tied to. That's for you, and that's gonna be what helps you stick, not just for now, but five years from now, ten years from now. It helps you keep getting employment, helps you keep getting appearances, and helps you keep getting opportunities to grow your brand. Because if you're trying to accommodate, and if you're trying to fit in with everybody else, you're gonna fail straight up. Like, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb because your whole life is contradictory to what MLS media culture and MLS culture in general is. And I think the positive, though, out of that, and I would say a caveat in that, is that I think MLS culture is diversifying. And I think we saw this season, and maybe a couple of seasons prior, not just black players, but just players that are coming from different backgrounds, expressing themselves. And it's no longer just the... You know, everyone's the same. Everyone looks the same, does the same thing, says the same thing. I think we're seeing starting to see a lot more character, a lot more swagger. And I, I think I appreciate that. And I'm sure fans appreciate that as well.
0: No, respect. Real quick,
2: who's the swaggiest player to you right now? Swaggiest player? Yeah, in MLS, in your opinion.
1: Man. To me, I think recently... It's BWP, is Bradley White Phillips. Um, so shout out to Bradley. Um, That's a good shout. Yeah, I want to say. Um, I'm going like team to team. I don't know. I think Quincy, like Quincy, showed up. I'm a rookie, Like he was, he showed up in a different type of, you know. Like a swagger on the field, so I like when he was with DC. Um, I think Hani Mukhtar. I think to keep it local, Nashville sees Hani Mukhtar. He's not the most loud guy, but I think he's starting to come into his shoes. Um, now you put me on a spot. I'm about to think about that one. <laughs> I'm about to think about that one. What, what would you say? What, what, what would you say? Who who are the swaggiest players in, in MLS right now?
2: Mm. I don't want to say I'm biased. I'm gonna say Joseph Martinez. Okay. Uh, trying to think. That's kind of a tough one too. Like I can I could I could reel off all the European guys, but like thinking about MLS, like that's a tough one. And like that's part of the problem, really. Like there's no nobody who's really standing out and like being the face of the league. Um, Right. do you think? You got. It's tough
0: because it's not like you have, like, you know, how you have like Memphis Depay and Kareem Benzema doing like their like video shoots. You yeah. don't really see that. Hey, MLS, Benz,
1: Benz has the best hype videos in Europe. Yeah. Period.
0: Like, I would love to see a couple of MLS players do that. So, in terms of like swaggiest players, you know, you got to go with my guy, uh, Sebastian Legit. Um, okay. Um, Kellen Acosta, you know, if you check out his page, he's doing some cool things. The, uh, the Young Boys, Derek Etienne. Uh, Isaac King, okay. uh, Those young boys, they got a little swag to them.
1: Yeah, I rock uh, with him a, a lot. Actually, um, I got a chance to see him play a little bit. Obviously, the second time, let's see, because they played Nashville twice. I think it was the second uh, time he played, and yeah, he did. He, you know, he did his thing. But I watched him obviously throughout the season. I think yeah. when he was with the Red Bulls it was like my first introduction to him. I thought he was pretty okay. solid.
0: Outside of that that's pretty bland you know it was just
1: that's what i'm lying. saying like I, I think i think mls like is we're really seeing the growth spurt right now yeah as opposed to maybe four four or five years ago where you know maybe not so much but i think like and i don't even think it's the players i really think it's just the system
0: yeah uh, you're right and I, I gotta put kai up there too because like he might yeah, not be kai, sure. in that sense but he's like he'll like go against the grain like he's doing his own yeah. stuff celebration stuff like that. Oh and then I gotta get my guy Kyrie Shelton in there. Uh yeah, so if you check out his page, he's doing some cool things from uh yeah. like
1: uh a- I, I I salute to him because I, I mean obviously man the dude is is quick dude's got the pace but obviously he knows how to finish. Um I think I think he's a prolific scorer but I gotta I can't I can't give him too much credit because he's a beaver. Yeah. So- oh
0: yeah true true true. <laughs> he's a
1: beaver so I gotta I gotta <laughs> watch out. <laughs>
0: I forgot. I forgot. Um, so you you mentioned the five like journalists, like the contingent. I'm gonna call you guys like the Avengers, almost. Like <laughs> you named them by name. Um, talk about you know being part of the national. Let me get the naming right. The National Association of Black Journalists. Like how has right. that helped you in your career?
1: It it's giving me the confidence when I came in. So I went to Oregon, right, as I, as I said earlier. But also I got my master's at Northwestern. So Madil. Obviously, you start talking about guys who come out of Medill that have come into MLS media. You start talking about Paul Tenorio, same stage yeah. school. Um, you know, although he didn't go to Medill, but he went to Northwestern. Uh, Jeff Carlisle at ESPN. So uh, Northwestern has that pedigree. But you know, around that same time is when I actually also started getting involved with Andy BJ. And so I'm, I think my first class at Northwestern, I was like, listen, I'm here to establish three Cs: confidence character and connections
0: oh i like that hold up i gotta write that down
1: (laughs) so when i was at when i that was a lot again as i said i think when i was going into nabj uh, i started going to the national conferences you got you know dudes like david aldridge and you know mark spears Mm -hmm. um guys off mike wilbon um like just just black men and women that you see all the time taylor rooks um, just greatness everywhere, like a, yeah. like in the entire ballroom, right? And so you've seen Black excellence for three straight days and at the same time you see these tiers of, of folks who are coming into the business and you just work with each other and you build each other up and it's nice for a change to be around folks who have experienced the same thing that you have, who've gone into rooms where you're the only one or who have ideas that don't fit the mold. And so my confidence was was something that was edified uh, around that time. So when we talk about confidence, character and connections, you know, my confidence was something I think that grew a lot in that time. And I think my character as well, and I'm still trying to work on that and trying to brand myself as to who I wanna be as a, not just a reporter, but a storyteller. Because like for me, being a reporter is nice and all. I've done it, I've reached it. I've, you know, become, as I said, one of only five. I think I just want this to be the base. I don't want this to be something that I do for a long time. I'm, I, I see myself being able to be a storyteller and not just write about it. You know, I think and I believe, you know, my skills, you know, far beyond newspapers and and just writing because I can go on camera. I believe I can be able to get on a podcast mic or, or or you know, not just do podcasts but also. Uh, tell stories, something that you might hear on NPR or something like that. Um, so I think that's where my confidence and my character is going. And then, of course, when you go into a a ballroom with some of the best black journalists, if not all of the best black journalists in the country, your connections will, yeah. will you know, just they'll they'll explode. So that's what really the NBJ has done for me. I'm I'm continuing to to be a member, but also participate in you know the conferences and you know, just staying connected with guys. Cause you know, we're all over the place.
0: Perfect. So if there's, you know, you talk about being a storyteller, if there's one story that you would want to tell, you know, from the black soccer perspective, what would it be?
1: Oof. I have a couple ideas, but I would love to be able to profile obviously one of the, one of the veterans like when I think of veterans, I like nowadays, I'm thinking like Jaleel Alibaba for Nashville. I'm thinking, you know, mm-hmm. Kai Kamara, obviously. Been in the game since I think 06. He came in came in in 06 with Columbus. Um, even CJ Sapong. Um, Bradley Wright Phillips, although obviously he came in as a guy from from overseas. But you know, being able to tell the story on like what is life like? This, when it's aside from soccer, but like, how are you as a black man? What's is it? Do you feel a part of and do you feel at the forefront? And when it comes to like advancing our culture as black people, like, what's it like being a black soccer player um, off the pitch? You know, whether it be just, you know, in your community, whether it be with other, you know, black athletes, other black professionals. Um, in your particular space? Uh, what was it like being just a Black male growing up and for many, a predominantly non-Black space? Yeah. And then on top of that, playing a sport that was predominantly non-Black. Like, What was it like culturally, socially, mentally? Um, so being able to write a story and f- formulate it off of a certain theme and tell that story, I think for me, that would be something I would love to tell. Uh, but also... I think style is something that we see. We were talking about earlier as far as like the swaggiest players in the, in the league. You know, everybody probably wants to write something on Pogba. You know, everybody wants to write something on Depay. Everybody wants to write something on Neymar or, you know, um, guys like that. But, you know, who who's that guy here? And I think we were all trying to figure out who that was as far as black players are concerned. But I think that's kind of a story would advance what I want to see in MLS, which is the cultural freedom and the the accreditation of like, hey, black culture is gonna be what advances us to the next level as a yeah. as a American soccer family. You know, that's what that's personally what I believe is yeah. that you're right. Yeah, like we've seen in in my in my humble opinion, we've seen what Latin cultures buy into the MLS and to really American soccer. Has done for the league, I mm-hmm. think the league knows that. I think the fans know that. I think individual clubs know that. Um, when you have the buy-in of the local Latinx community, you take a, you take another level up. But mm-hmm. so, what's going to happen when Black culture comes in? Ask Atlanta United.
0: So you let's know? let's talk about that because you you know you work with Nashville FC. Mm-hmm. Um, how has the black community embraced Nashville, and how has Nashville, SC, you know, made efforts to get into the black community, from your perspective?
1: The first, to answer your first question, I think the black community is still there's there's still novice as mm-hmm. far as American soccer, what American soccer is. That a lot of them know about, you know, national teams and Ronaldo and Ronaldinho and. Like other, you know, legendary players, Henri, they might know Henri. They might know Real Madrid. They might know Manchester United. Um, but they still don't know MLS. And they still don't know players in MLS. And I think that that introductory phase is still taking place right now. So I think uh, the the knowledge of the game and, you know, the culture and, and the actual message that MLS gives off is still something that they're still trying to receive. Yeah. And then your second question, I mean... To, to be frank and, and to be honest, and I don't mean to be overly critical here, but I just don't think that uh, Nashville SC and really any uh, majority MLS clubs are exclusively and wholeheartedly and effectively attacking or targeting Black communities in their particular markets. Um, now you
0: bring I mean, up a great point. You know, I don't think yeah. I've seen it a lot as well. You know, shout out to Philadelphia. Shout out to Warren. You know, when he yeah, was there, he sure. did a, you know, after-school program, Design FC, you know, you know, uh, Saad, you know, from Cincinnati, yeah. he's doing public school financial literacy program. Yep. But I didn't yep, hear anything I saw about that. Cincinnati back in that effort, you know. So mm-hmm. hopefully we can see more as, you know, people continue to bring awareness.
1: Yeah. And I know, you know, guys like, you know, Jeremy, we say, and um, as you, as you mentioned, uh, y'all like Warren, Ray Gaddis. they're doing big things. They've been doing big things in Philly and uh, in Chester, PA and, and in the surrounding areas. Uh, but I think there's just way too many, way too many markets where, you know, the black communities are just sitting there, like Miami, you know, yeah. like Nashville, yeah. D.C. United, you know, NYCFC, what are y'all doing? <laughs> <You know? laughs> New York, <laughs> uh, like New York, New York Red Bulls. I mean, Houston Dynamo, H Town. Uh, like, they're, it,
0: it, they're, it really like don't even get me started on Houston. You have like the, the biggest Nigerian population, uh, and you just don't see anything uh, from that standpoint. And it's not even Columbus Crew. Yeah.
1: Columbus Crew. You got a massive uh, Ghanaian population in Columbus. Massive. Yeah. Like, and I think, obviously, especially with a, with a club like that, when Greg Berhalter was there, we saw what happened when, and I actually got a chance to talk to him about this. I think it was two years ago now. It's been a while. I just told him, I was just asking him, like, what was the, you know, what was the, not necessarily need or desire, but what allowed guys like Harrison Afu, um, you know, obviously David Akam came in with Chicago, but like Harrison Afu, you got Abubakar, you had... Mensa. Um, Mensa like Ghanaian players just going crazy coming into the league. And then obviously in Harrison, a fool still with Columbus, Jonathan yeah. Mensa was with Columbus. Jonathan Mensah was, you know, arguably along with Walker Zimmerman, you know, the best, if not one of top two center backs. In the I, see, I see
0: what you did there. You
1: give, you give your Nashville player some love right I, there. I got to make sure I'm not, I, mean, I got to make sure I'm, you know, make, you know, I, I am a Nashville, Nashville SC reporter. So I, I got to recognize, right? I got to yeah. recognize the game. But I do think, I mean, Jonathan's the reason why they, yeah,
0: those are, in my opinion,
1: they had the best goal against record in the league. So it's yeah. like, you know, John, Jonathan is that dude. Um, why, you know? But and then Columbus has, like I said, yes. one of the biggest Ghanaian populations. Um, and I didn't even know that until, you know, last year, a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. But I'm sure if you are living in Columbus, you probably have known that years, years ago. Um, so I think there's a there's a lot to be said. And I remember when I was talking to Grant Wall about this. And look, the whole coaching hire thing. man. there's a lot of there's a lot of clickbait going on about, you know, coaches like D.C. United, for example, Oh, they're considering Hendricks and they're considering this black coach, that black coach, uh, like Ezra, for example. Like now, nah, y'all, y'all, that's clickbait. And yeah. all, those, all those all those Twitter, all those Twitter posts. It's cap. Yeah. Straight up. It's cap, bro. Like, I don't, I don't, I, and I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to pick out DC. I'm not trying to pick out clubs because I know it was a collective trend. Yeah. That's what it was. It was a trend. And we were out here tweeting like, oh, this, this club hasn't tweeted their statement out yet. Like, it was like, okay, we all have to say something. Yeah. And and if we don't, we in trouble. If we do, they're going to critique what we said. But, so, I, I get that there is a catch 22 in that regard, but at the same time, if you were really about that life, it, you wouldn't have to worry about what you would say because from the bottom of your heart, I would be able to understand. Um, like, I would be able to understand, like, the fact that, okay, that's genuine. And I know that you know what you're talking about
0: yeah you're right man and but shout out to dc though though, because they did hire a black woman as the president of their club but from the coaching standpoint like you said we we knew that wasn't they wasn't going to make that hire for you know whether it's henderson or anyone else so um do better mls clubs i guess (laughs) for sure yeah so uh with that being said uh you know we talked about that let's talk about the hbcu community you know do you are you able to cover any uh hbcu soccer like from a college standpoint?
1: I've been itching to get down to Fisk. I've been itching to get down to Fisk. Obviously, if you know about black soccer culture in America, if you know about just soccer, U.S. Men's National Team history in America, you know who Desmond Armstrong is. You know yes, who sure. Drew Banks is. And, and I need to check in and see, you know, what Fisk's season is looking like. Obviously, we know the college season overall has been split. Now, really, the ACC was the only conference that was really playing men's soccer last year. As far as D one is concerned, I'm at the at the highest level. But I do wonder what's going on with, with Fisk and obviously Desmond Armstrong is, is the coach over there. So man, I mean I've been itching to get that story out. I unfortunately haven't been able to, but I think once we get closer into this season, I've got a year under my belt. I would love to take that time. And I also love to take the time to get into the community because there are, you know, black Coaches and administrators, uh, directors of coaching at youth clubs, um, state soccer executives like the executive of Tennessee State Soccer is black. Um, Hans Hobson. So you know, look look up Hans Hans Hobson has been in you know Tennessee, Middle Tennessee for decades. Um, whether as a director of coaching for um, what is now Tennessee SC, but used to be Brentwood Soccer Club before it merged with another club. Um, so there 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 are black men and women who who have contributed to the game here in Middle Tennessee. And so that's something I hope now that I have a year under my belt. 2020 was madness. So I'm hoping that things will be a little more calm and I can actually spread my wings a little bit.
0: No, I love that. You know, someone like Coach Desmond Armstrong is someone that I, you know, really respect. He was one of my first coaches when I, you know, first stepped into the youth national teams. And you know, to hear right. his story and learn from him at that young of an age, um, it really set the table for the, right. the motivation. Having someone that I could, like, see and grasp and talk to um, yeah. it makes all the difference. So, you know, I wish I had, like, Steph Curry money. I could probably do something like that from a, a sponsor of a soccer team. But we know as Two Cents Sports and Two Cents FC continues to grow, best to believe L's already thinking how we yeah. can I'm looking
1: life. up to you guys because I've, I've had that dream. Um like, as I said, coming up in, in San Diego, like Southeast San Diego is is just like any, you know, big city where you have a large area, of, you know, it's just the hood. And unfortunately, athletes get deprived where you have some of the best athletes in their grade, in their class, end up going. And look, track is great. You know, basketball is great. Baseball is great. Football. But imagine the excellence that could come from giving six seven-year-old black boys and girls who are just natural athletes the opportunity to play the game without asking their parents for money imagine the opportunities not just on the field but as coaches um scouts um you know physios potentially you know folks who want to be doctors or or physicians um, business there's just so many different career paths i think we should we would be able to give our fellow black boys and girls, whether it be in the hood or not, um, through the game of soccer, that I think, quite frankly, I don't think other sports, as far as youth is concerned, I don't think they have the bandwidth to do.
0: Oh, you're, you're right. Uh, L, what you got?
2: Man, that's I'm speaking nothing but truth there, man. That's something, as Amobi mentioned, that's like a big part of our mission to sports is um, not only to like elevate, you know, black voices in sports, but also to, you know, expose underserved communities, expose these, these young black kids to new things. You know what I'm saying? So like, we all think about football, basketball, but exposure to soccer, exposure to golf, tennis, you know, some of these sure. other like fringe sports that like the culture is there. It's just not being, it doesn't have the light on it. You know what I'm saying? Um, so with that said, let's jump into two truths in the cap. <laughs> um, our, uh, we pull my list out man yeah 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 one of our newly our new favorite games to play i well, because uh, my favorite i'm up <laughs> 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 so the rules for this game is drake is going to give us three um facts about himself and two of them will be true one will be a lie and a and i have to guess what the lie is so drake whenever you're ready <laughs> all right. Um, uh, so here
1: we go. Point number one. Um I've been to Dubai. There's a story behind that. There's a soccer story behind that. Hold up. I just gave I just gave y'all the answer, didn't right,
2: I? You said you got a bunch of them. Go uh, I got a bunch of them. You. I'll right. just
1: tell the story anyway. I'll tell the story anyway. Um, so yeah, I was in Dubai. Let's see that must have been 20 2017 this was June 2017 and i touched down and it was the first day of ramadan Ooh. so some dubai was like you know dubai is kind of like a super vegas like it's on a 24 hour clock they don't they don't do that 12 hour miss huh. um, they, there's there's no such thing as 9 to 5s and you know rush hours like it's always popping um, in normal you know in in non uh, you know, sacred times. So it was. It was during Ramadan. It was the first day of Ramadan. So I got there. It was hot. It was like must have been ninety eight. And I finally, I was finally had the courage to step out. It was around eleven p.m. It was ninety eight degrees. So I took this tour, and I went out to Palm Island. And our first stop, we got off at this little. little I guess it was. In, you know in normal hours it's kind of like a little stand-up a la carte market right but we got out because um i can't can't remember uh there's like this huge kind of like it's a hotel but it's a real popular hotel um closer to Palm island so we' were on, we got close to Palm island and the first stop and they hit over the loudspeaker like you see this uh, first villa over here that's david Beckham's and I was like, oh, snap. Uh, that's David Beckham's holiday villa. This man, like, like Palm Island, like if you on Palm Island, like you got, like, yeah you you, different you yeah, you you top class. Like, and that's just obviously like that's He don't live there full time. So like to think that somebody can just pull up there on like Christmas or something, um, you know, that, that was next level. So that was pretty cool. All right. Let me start over. I got the story okay. done. All right. So point one. Point one, uh, I visited multiple nations on the motherland. Uh, Point two, I didn't go to my first MLS match until 2014. And then point three, I'll say my favorite club is a Premier League club. Cap,
2: point favorite three club is
1: the wine. <laughs> we got to do, <laughs> do more rounds. I told you I
2: was boo-boo at this <laughs> game.
0: No, I'm taking my point. Woo.
2: Nah, oh. nah. We got that one. All right, we'll come back at the end. We'll come back at the end of the show and, and do another round. All right. Sounds oh. good,
1: man, because uh, like I said, I've always wondered... How can I make something ambiguous enough for them to believe it, but descriptive enough so I can make sure that they don't get it right? (laughs) Like for some reason, my brain just don't work like that.
0: It's a great great conversation starter.
2: Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's go. All right, I'll come back to it. Let's go ahead and jump into these topics. So, um, first topic of the day: talk about MLS's big January window. So there's a ton of movement in January window for MLS players um, moving abroad um, on either loan or permanent deals. So I'll run down the list of people who dipped out um, during the January window. Um, Mark McKenzie, center back for Philly, moved to Genk. Justin Che, defender for FC Dallas, moved to Bayern on loan with a purchase to option option to purchase. Joe Scali, right back um, from NYCFC, went to um, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, Brian Reynolds, right back um, from FC Dallas, went to AS Roma. Dallas is moving. Um, Reggie Cannon moved last year. I don't know why that was in the article. Um, Jordan Morris, attacker from Seattle Sounders, moved to Swansea on the loan with the option to buy. Paul Ariola, winger, wing back from DC United, um, went to Swansea on loan. Daryl DK, striker from Orlando City, went to Barnsley with a on loan with option to buy. And Brian Rodriguez, winger, from LA LAFC, went to UD Almeria on loan, option to buy. So a lot of loans with option to buy. Um, which players out of this group do you think have the potential to be breakout stars um, abroad? I would say.
1: Definitely Brian Reynolds. I think he's young enough to, like, still jump onto another track, into the Roma track, and actually develop and take some big steps. And obviously, Roma is Roma, so I'm not quite sure how how uh, minutes will, will play out. But I think he's someone who has a lot of potential. I don't think he's someone who's just going to stick as a right back. I think you know, they might try to play with him a little bit, similar to what Byron did with Alfonso Davies, right? I mean... Maybe he came out as a winger. He can play as outside mid. He can play as a winger. He can play as a fullback. We've seen arguably last Champions League season, he was one of the best fullbacks in like the final, I want to say really the knockout stage. Um, and even for even for the Bundesliga, I think he was one of the best fullbacks. So I think Brian Reynolds is on that track. Um, I will say though, the way that Daryl DK kind of came onto the scene, that was like out of all those moves, I think that one not necessarily took me by surprise, but I wasn't necessarily expecting that move specifically to Barnsley because maybe because it was the pandemic season, but I think he was one of the best rookies. And if MLS didn't switch up the the, the award to a young player of the season type of award, I think he would have been rookie of the year, in my opinion, um, or, or certainly top two. Uh, I just think that he also has an, another high ceiling that he probably won't reach just yet, but he has a lot of room to improve and a lot of potential, a lot of upside. So, and and then, then again, Barnsley, like I think he might get a lot of, you know, good minutes. So, but, you know, in the meantime, while MLS is figuring their thing out, I think that, you know, those two guys will probably blow up a little bit. Not to say that Areola or, or, or Jordan Morris won't, won't pop off. I'm just saying, you know, if Brian Reynolds is a guy who, I think going to a club like Roma they they've shown that they can put guys back on the track like you know Mo Salah like mm-hmm. dude was written off by by really the majority of the top 6 in England mm-hmm. he goes over there does his thing and look where he is now so I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that that's exactly what Brian is going to do but Roma is is proving that you know you can you can make somebody yourself in that club so
2: yeah, what you think Moby
0: yeah i would say right off the back looking at the list mark mckenzie he, i mean he's already balling out at gank and they're like a feeder club too so i expect him to be make a big move another big move you know within the next two years um justin che he's a young guy he's probably gonna play with the reserves so uh joe scally uh he's been, he's been out at uh Borussia for quite some time um he's still coming back i think he came off injury um I think Brian Rodriguez is going to make some noise. Obviously, LAFC. He's he's done well there, but sure. not to the extent of his full potential. Um, so I think if I go off the list, Mackenzie, Brian Rodriguez um, are the two big time um, breakouts. DK is going to do well, but his 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 option to buy is too high. So it's more just like to get that experience and kind of put him on the radar. And uh, Jordan Morris, he's not going to stay at Swansea. Uh, he's too high of a caliber. I think it's just to see him get acclimated to that, uh, to that, that system, that league, and and everything like that.
1: I, I think, I think as far as the Swansea, you know, with, with Ariel and Morris, but particularly Morris, I think going on, going on what you were saying, I think that's more of an audition for the other clubs. Um yeah. you know, think about, think about a lot of the clubs, and it was funny, like. Brentford fans had jumped on me mad crazy when I was talking uh, early this week because I'm like – I'm realizing like literally every other championship club in the top four were, 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 you know, really tapping into MLS other than Brentford. Yeah. Um, Swansea was doing their thing. Um, You know, Barnsley doing their thing. So, I mean, like when I think of the – when I think of the other clubs, you know, at the top of the championship – I think those are those are not clubs who are thinking championship. They're thinking Premier League. And I'm not trying to assume anything, but guys who, you know, might be able to get into a, a championship side that's sh- for sure going to make the playoff, um, yeah. and, and might get into the Premier League that way, or they might win out and be in the Premier League next year, or be or be on the radar of clubs in the Premier League next year is what I'm saying. So. As, as far as Morris goes, I definitely think it's an audition and you know we'll, we'll see what happens over the next three, three and a half months.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. I don't think I think he's too good of a player to even have right. it to do an audition. But, you know, like you said, there's, you know, because of the pandemic and everything going on, um, it'll, it'll be interesting. I want to see how he plays. Obviously, the championship is a little bit more physical, uh, but he mm-hmm. you know, has body type to handle. The physicality of the league. It's just that you know, coming off a couple of injuries that he has, definitely interested to see how that see how that goes.
1: Right.
2: Yeah, it seems like a lot of key players for, you know, some pretty solid teams have made moves. Um, Diego Rossi. Yeah, he did, he just got a move, right?
1: Yeah, he went to. Uh, did it happen? Did, was it confirmed? I think he I think he went to, or it's it's reported that he's going to Reading, right?
0: Uh, I don't think it got confirmed. There was like rumors that was going to happen. Uh, I'm not sure why he would go to Reading out of all the teams that could be after him, but I'm not sure if it was confirmed, but these, these, these moves, especially with the loan to option to buy is very interesting, obviously with everything going on, MLS talk
1: about, about to say. possible lockouts. So it should be yeah. interesting.
2: Yeah. It seems like um, a lot of this stuff is preemptive to a degree. Because you have you have key players. You got um, Jordan Morris, Daryl DK was a, a key player for um, for Orlando last season. Brian Rodriguez, Mark McKenzie was about to come into coming to his own. Um, mm-hmm. You know, dipping out, and especially when it comes to Morris uh, DK. Like a lot of those were like super sudden. You know what I'm saying? So, like, is that a precursor to what's coming for the MLS season? You know, with their um, labor disputes.
1: Yeah. I think so. Like I said, I think the, the DK move was probably the biggest. Again, I'm not going to say surprise, but I wasn't necessarily anticipating that that move particularly. do
2: mm. you think of Mobius? Oh yeah, a- I
0: definitely think so. I what think, think are some, some are happen. <laughs> yeah, I think some things are going to happen, and this is a great way for some of the top caliber players from these specific teams to not only get seen but to stay active if you know if there's a lockout
2: yeah that makes sense all right so moving on um let's jump over into nisa this is like one of the few times we've covered like a nisa team hoping to do that more in the coming years as they roll out their spring season um cj brown is hired to be the first technical director and head coach of nisa's chicago club so chicago soccer legend cj brown a black man um will lead Chicago's professional NISA team as the new as a new club's first head coach and technical director. Brown, who was inducted into MLS Hall of Fame, MLS club Chicago Fire's Ring of Fire in 2012 and earned 15 caps with the uh, national team, is tasked with assembling Chicago NISA's first professional squad and leading them into the club's inaugural season, which kicks off in August. Brown's fellow Ring of Fire member, um, Peter Wilt, noted that this is a great fit for Brown and Chicago NISA, he quotes, um, the club needed a knowledgeable, experienced coach with connections to, to Chicago who shares the club's values. CJ needed an opportunity to prove himself as a head coach and a team builder and an opportunity to do so in his adopted hometown. So according to will, um, I saw a tweet of his, I couldn't find it, um, to quote it word for word, but he said they intentionally looked at people, people of color and women to be considered for hires because, um, there's a lot of talent in those pools and they're not getting opportunities and they want to deliberately um, actively seek opportunities for, you know, coaches of color and women, women coaches. So what are you guys thoughts on the hire? How do you guys feel about it?
0: I, I love it. I mean, CJ is a MLS legend, you know, done a lot of great things during his time with Chicago fire. Um, but also he's been an assistant coach for like the longest, you know, it's about time he got a you know chance to prove himself. Uh, whether it's NISA, whether it's USL, whether it's UPSL, whether it's MLS, you know, he he deserves a shot. So I'm excited for him to do his thing and, you know, see where, see what may happen.
1: Yeah. I think the pedigree that what he's already shown that like he's, he's had excellence at every level and every capacity of the game. Like you, I mean, you already talked about his coaching career. We already know what he did um, as a player uh, in a particular market that, was really hot on, you know, off the bat, right. When when fire came into the league, you know, there, they were six, su- were success automatic. And then when CJ came along, it was kind of like, you know, he he just went along with the success of the club. So um, mm-hmm. I think in Chicago has, has been a club just even from my recent time there, um, I used to, you know, really focus on what they were doing on, on, the on the far North side with a lot of the uh, neighborhoods that were, Know really populous with a lot of Western African, Central African, um, young players, and even on a lot of those players, we even coming from the south side as well, South Shore. Um, I think Nisa is a league that can really tap into that market as well. We talked about how MLS clubs haven't, you know, really done the best. Although I think Chicago Fires is, is a club that
2: um,
1: is probably a lot closer and doing that than than some of the other clubs. I think they they're I think they're a little bit better than some other MLS clubs as far as um, wanting to target and wanting to go reach out to black communities. Um, I think the fire is doing that, but I think NISA can probably expedite the process a little bit as far as getting the, the, the local black communities involved in the game, whether it be talent, whether it be players or just followers of the club. So I love the move and having somebody who's already, you know, had a pedigree and, and been that great in Chicago is even better.
2: Yeah. So do you think they could pack out Bridgeview? Yeah, they're <laughs> they, they gonna be playing in I Bridgeview? don't know about all that. I don't know about all that. But uh, yeah,
0: I don't know why they did that, but.
2: Uh, maybe they got a good deal, you know?
1: All right, yeah.
2: That's gonna be tough. Might try to,
1: might try to, start, might try to start up in like, play on DePaul's field or or play and there's some other lower there's some other uh you know lower division colleges that you know are based in the you know not far from the south side. So I think where they play at is important too. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying I'm an expert on what Chicago Nisa is doing because I don't know all the details of their plans, but I think you know, not playing not playing in Bridgeview, that's that's a start, you know. No, <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not gonna work out.
2: All right, so let's jump into um, another game that we like to play here called No Card, Yellow Card, Red Card. So this is a rapid-fire segment of the show where I'll read off some news headlines, and our guests, Drake, as well as the Moby, will give their opinions on those headlines using the soccer card system. So no card is I agree with it, I'm cool with it. Yellow card is I can go either way. And red card is I disagree or I'm not cool with it. We got the got the rules. All right, so first up, no card, yellow card, red card. Atlanta United is the only MLS club getting a third kit for the 2021 season.
1: I'm gonna, say, I'm gonna go with yellow card because uh, look, and we obviously know what happened with, with Philadelphia this week, where they had like a fan a fan created kit, and that just goes to show that Philadelphia has the the connections to his club that are that are loyal and that um, obviously are a little more diverse than other club fan supporter groups um but at the same time although atlanta was had a had a the worst season overall they still are at the top of the culture food chain so y'all mad then y'all clubs should create better kits and adidas should do a little bit better
0: for sure yeah uh Yellow card, I mean, it, it goes with the club. Like push for an or third kit. Obviously, Atlanta sells jerseys, so that's that's just how it goes. Yeah,
2: that is true. We are gonna buy that ugly jersey if they rolled out, <laughs> regardless. All right, next up, uh, no card, yellow card, red card. Neymar signs an extension with PSG. Is this a lack of desire? I'm gonna
1: go a yellow card because I think regardless of what anybody says this dude still wants to win he still wants to be the guy like he, he clearly has had uh you know a, a predator's ego what I mean by that is like I want to be the guy that wins win period and he wants to be he wants to be the one that gets the credit and he wants to have his own team and I think he's probably getting a little bit impatient on uh, being at PSG because me personally I don't think PSG is a is a and not like a Patriots organization, you know they they do things a little bit differently, and they're willing to spend to get what they want. But the fact of the matter is, Man City, and although Man City has the same type of pockets, but their system is a little bit different. Their continuity, and not just with Guardiola, but City Football Group and their scouting is a little bit different. Um, you're not Bayern, um, and obviously you're you're, you're not Madrid or, or Barca, so or Juventus for that matter, so. Um, I think look Neymar it's probably his last couple of years. But I think the next contract might be his last big time contract as well as far as getting his chance to really be the guy, be at the top and win.
0: Yeah, I mean I would say no card, get your money young King. Uh, for Neymar, what other club at right at right now would he go to that you know makes sense? Uh, so for me if he get i think he really wants that champions league with psg they were close last year um i mean they just hit a an unstoppable byron team um you know play until mbappe goes to Real madrid and then from there figure out where you're gonna go i think psg is a good good situation for him you know, top dog consistently in champions league you know rep with what he's doing and he's playing a, under a good coach now um yeah that's good. I thought like there might be some things where he might go like Syria A, you know, Syria A's getting some new blood in there, and a lot of money's going into Syria A. Thought he could do like a maybe like a crazy like Inter AC Milan type, yeah. um, but PSG is a good good decision on my part. In my, in my opinion, uh,
1: can I can I say can I uh, ask both of y'all a question?
0: Yeah, I was good with it.
1: In a non-pandemic season, does PSG really do get to the final?
0: Yes.
2: What do you say, Mm -hmm. Bill? Mm -hmm. Man, not the way Bayern was moving last year. Yeah,
1: regardless, I'm not even trying to be biased about it. Like Bayern, were just built. I think the loans that they completed were obviously timely, and at you know. My opinion is that it was a little overcrowded, but at the same time, I think injuries and in just bad form took away Juventus' chance. And I don't think Man City has the gas to get through all the way to the final. So, you know, quite frankly, I think it was, I was looking forward to seeing Juve in the final. Um, so PSG was kind of surprising. I think that was really just a combination of Mbappe and Neymar, but I think it was a lot of Mbappe. And, you know, when as far as Neymar was concerned, especially when I saw him in the final, he wouldn't really cause him problems like that though.
0: but if you watch the final ne- like PSG had chances Mbappe. oh yeah, oh, yeah. That shot. and and Neymar last year is probably top three player I mean Lewandowski did his thing um but Neymar in that kind of like that false nine 10 roll with mbappe on the wing yeah he was a top he was a top player so I would say yeah they're making the final again
2: okay all right, so uh, last one: no card, yellow card, red card. Mussolini's great grandson is playing for Lazio and is getting a lot of backlash. But there's a lot of backlash around that. What y'all thoughts?
1: Man, no card. Like, look, I I get that that's that's something to pay attention to, but as far as like trying to make a a narrative out of a family tree, like. Get get to know, get to know the man. Like, what is he about? Like, does he have like fascist tattoos? I mean, what's what's the deal? I mean, what clubs did he play for? Lazio. Uh, Lazio. Oh, Lazio. That's that's <laughs> well, I, that, that that might that might be close to a yellow card. I might give him a warning. <laughs> I might give him a warning and say, look, you got you got one tackle, you know, meta- yeah. metaphorically, you got one tackle, but the second one. I'm sending you off straight up, straight red. Like, I'm not even giving you a yellow.
0: Nah, yeah, this is like they commit a couple fouls. It's like, and the ref, like, does that little, like, yo, come, come here. Come here. I need yeah, time. let me talk to you real quick. There's three, three fouls. The next one's a yellow car. Like, that's...
1: Facts. Nice. <laughs> nice. And this, and, and I only said that, L because you said Lazio. If you was talking about, like, I don't know, Parma or, you know, Sampdoria or something, or like, Shoot, even Napoli, but yeah, Lazio, mm-mm. no, ain't, yeah. ain't working with them.
0: This would be a great uh, this would be a great question for our homegirl, you know, the historian, um, to talk about like the cultural ties to um, Italy and the FA and uh, Italy soccer, um, because I know she would have a lot of good insight about, you know, which clubs were kind of in this, you know environment and the history behind it so yeah it's, yeah. it's really interesting
1: i will say that's one thing that i love i talked uh one of the guys who i went to northwestern where we always we actually did an episode about this on a former podcast i was on called soccer cast and uh you know she i'm not she he my bad andrew um we did an episode about hooliganism and politics and soccer and i think it's something that in terms of a franchise-first sports nation, we don't get the chance to see clubs be individuals. You know, we got caps and we got, you know, salary budget charge and, like, all of this, you know, wearing diapers. Like, MLS really be, you know, putting diapers on clubs. Like, clubs can't really be them. They're just an extra leg off of the leg tree. I mean, the league tree, excuse me. And you don't see that. Not just in Europe, but you don't see that in pretty much anywhere around the world, um, and so I think that's something that we don't get a chance as Americans to really get a chance to look at, like sectarianism in in between not just the old firm with Celtic and and and, and Rangers, but really just like in all of the British the British uh, British leagues, whether it be the Premier League uh, championships, lower leagues whether it be Irish, you know, Irish League, whether it be, like I said, a Scottish Premier League. I'm um, Obviously, in, 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 um, in Serie A, where you have, you know, fascism issues, you have nationalistic, you know, fan groups and uh, uh, supporters and um, ultras, right, yeah. that, that carry. Look, it's not even a lot of the time they saying stuff that has nothing to do with what happened in the game just now. Mm -hmm. Like, you're speaking pure propaganda. (laughs) Pure propaganda. Like, and it's interesting because you get a chance to really learn about the history of the club, but also the people in that media community. I think it's informative. I think, you know, although I don't want, you know, I don't know. I'm not trying to put, like, a brand and not trying to slander no MLS club, but, like, I'm just picking out of the hat. Like, imagine if, you know, LA Galaxy was like, Uber conservative, like super nationalistic, and LAFC was just straight up, you know, liberal, Democrat, you know, progressive, yeah. and then on top of that, you you have you know sectarianism, as I mentioned. So like LFC would be, you know, the, the Catholics, and you have Galaxy be the Protestants. You know, we don't have that in America. Um, so it's, it's it's I love that type of information. But I'm I'm glad that we don't have uh, that level of of abuse in MLS or in any American soccer league.
0: No, that's true. I think the only way we would see that is if, like, um, and I know we're not going to get to this topic, um, like the pro-rel. And then you have, like, clubs that are within the same city that are, like, you know, fan-driven, you know, ownership groups-driven. And then you see, like, all right, Sacramento. Now you got El Grove versus Roseville. There's a different demographic between the El Grove population versus the Roseville population. You know, nice. um, Atlanta. I can't speak for Atlanta, but like, you know, different things like that. And we don't see that because you know, America's so diverse and also so spread
1: out. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, as far as Atlanta goes, I mean, they they train up in Marietta, which is kind of like on the north side. You know, Mir- Marietta's because they got a significant right. amount of black people with like. not in like zone six or nothing they're not in decatur you know like imagine if if a usl team was like east atlanta like you know just representing a lot of their fans coming from that area a lot of their fans coming from even even the south side of atlanta like they haven't you know wearing t-shirts where they have the club crest has like a 85 south in it or something like that where you can Mm. have that type of you know north versus south in the city or um you know, suburb versus urban, or or whatever. Um, I think to your point, though, I, I think I would I would love that just because it actually gets you gives you a chance to choose. Like, why do I support a club? No, thanks.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, to that Atlanta point, it'll be practically anywhere south of 20 or <laughs> west of 285. That's I mean, a fact. East of 285. Um, <laughs> That's a fact. Versus like Cherokee County, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Cobb County. Yeah, i I, mean, I live in Cobb County, but like North Cobb County in like. Yeah. yeah.
0: North, right, hold on, hold on.
1: Yeah,
2: that's funny. Yeah. All right, so um, I want, to, I want to introduce a new segment of the show um, that we're gonna start doing not because it's February, but just because we need to celebrate um more Black people in the sport of soccer. So, Every month Black History Month For sure So we're going to do um, a segment I'm going to call Black Soccer History So the first person we're going to highlight um, this week is Hope Powell She's the 53-year-old who is currently the manager of Brighton women, Brighton's women um, FAWSL team um, She's yep. perhaps best known as uh, her tenure as the first female and black manager of any England national team so after winning 66, 66 caps for England women, scoring 35 times, Powell took charge of the Lionesses between 1998 and 2013. Um, she won the Cypress Cup in 2009 and 2013. She was also the first female ever to obtain a UEFA Pro license, which is the highest qualification available to a coach in Europe. So flowers to Hope Powell. Yeah.
1: Yep. Definitely Shout so. out Brian as well. Yeah. Um... I, I didn't mean to cut you off, L, but I just wanted to say, like, out Brighton, obviously Nigel Hewton, We when Brighton came to the Premier League, you know, uh, yep. Nigel came in as, as a Black manager, and we didn't really get the chance to see that very much, and um, still haven't gotten a chance to really see that much in the in the Premier League. Um, what's his name from West Brom as well? Uh, I don't mean to go off track, but there was, you know, for a know couple of seasons, uh, Aaron darren darren something but anyway sticking to brighton and sticking to hope like you know i think that's that's great for hope just to be able to continue her black excellence and show that like we can we can contribute to the game and in every fashion and form
0: yeah that's what it's all about
2: Definitely hope her her flowers um doing big things trailblazing it in the world of soccer holding them licenses you know what i mean so that's it for this week
0: Yo, so, Drake, thank you so much. Where can the people find you if they want to connect with you?
1: Absolutely, man. Follow me on Twitter, Live Life LiveLifeDrake. You know, I'm not just talking about National C, MLS, obviously, watching Europe, what's going on overseas, the national teams, um, talking about black culture, really anything, get a chance to get to know me a little bit better. I also just dropped an Instagram, so follow your boy, Drake Hills. I mean, I, what's that? Just now, huh? Yeah, just like it's fresh out you know like a week it's been it's a week old so yeah man I'm gonna be my goal is to have that be more of a personal space where you know my whole motto as far as Instagram is look Twitter is so much about trying to get the message out of news reporting my own stories and my coverage of the club getting a chance for you guys to get to know the players I want my Instagram to be not only just that but for you guys get a chance to know me as well so uh, Drake Hill Soccer made it easy follow me and uh, yeah, it's gonna go down this season.
0: Ah, so thank you so much for taking the time. Definitely look forward to learning more about you, hearing your story, catching your reports, all that. Um, but that's our show for this week. Subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us get discovered. Follow us on the socials at Two Cents FC. Check out our merch at Two Cents It helps support the show. Um, this is probably the first time me or L is not rocking the Two Cents merch, but check it out. And nearby. And- and then tweet us your comments on the show and any topics you want me or L to discuss
2: that's it appreciate it